Welcome to Chick Chat with Unapologetically Karen, the podcast for women by women. I'm Karen Webb, architect, author, entrepreneur, creative junkie, and your host. Chick Chat is your resource for building your big, bold, and beautiful feminine life. So join me for some eye-opening and jaw-dropping dialogue that has people talking. Today's guest is Gigi Meyer. After retiring from a 30-year career in corporate America, Gigi made a bold move to writing romance novels about strong female characters and their complicated, swoon-worthy men. She loves telling stories and figuring out why her characters do what they do. With heartbreaking angst, panty-dropping lust, and enviable love, her stories linger long after you close the book. Help me welcome Gigi. Nice to have you. Oh, Karen, it is so nice to be on. Thank you so much for having me. um, I'm really excited to talk to you because I have not spoken to any any author that writes in this kind of category. So let's start there. What made you leave corporate America and become a writer and why this genre of writing? Oh, good question. So I have been in corporate America 30 years, and it has been the culmination of my career. I made it to chief administration officer of a $4 billion publicly traded company. And so uh, I was the youngest C-suite executive there was by almost 20 years on some people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And... (laughs) I love the job. I love the team. My managers that I had, I had 19 managers that reported up to me. So it was a big responsibility. Loved it for a long time. But I kind of got a sense of what my, basically the next 20 years would look like. I could look at all of my colleagues and be like, I could be sitting in this chair for the next 20 Mm -hmm. years doing the same thing. And I honestly did not want to die with my music inside. I love that line. Um, That's a great line. Uh, absolutely. And so you knew you wanted, you had something in you that, you know, you wanted to get out to the world. Um, and why this genre? So explain a little bit what the genre is. I did. I'm not sure everybody knows that. And then kind of why, why you chose it. <laughs> so I am a dark romance writer. So dark can mean a lot of things to different writers when you talk to them. My definition of dark is Uh, content warning material. You know, there's triggers. So I talk about my platform is, you know, women's rights, women's empowerment. And there are really atrocious, terrible things that happen to women across the globe. And so what I have done is write stories with really hard themes that affect women all the time. You know, it can be assault, it could be abandonment, it could be kidnapping. And so that's my version of dark okay. romance. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Um, yeah, and I am. I wish I could. I wish I could write those. I, there's a bunch. I mean, Jean. So romance yes. is a humongous umbrella, and there's all these different things underneath it. And so there's a lot of this like meet cute, like boy meets girl <laughs> at the coffee shop, and you know yeah. it goes great. And then there's some like inciting right. event, and then they get mad and break up. I was like, I wish I could write something cute and sweet because it would be so much easier to sell. But it would be boring. It might be boring. (laughs) (laughs) To you, it would probably be boring. 
Yeah. For me, it is challenging. And so that's why, I don't know, like life is not meet cute. It would be great if it was. Absolutely it's not. not. And I think the more we kind of bring light to those tough topics, the better, you know, better it is. People are more aware and, and I think it helps give people some coping skills, you know, as to how to get through it. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk for a minute about uh, your book, Coyote. So that one has that it's kind of dark topic would be about sex trafficking. Tell us a little kind of where, you know, where that came from. And do you, do you need to do like research? How do you do research on a topic like that? I did. So that book came to me, the opening scene was actually, well, half the opening scene was actually a dream that I had where I was rescuing these teenage girls Uh, raced across the desert in New Mexico. And I don't know for those listeners that have been in New Mexico, um, beautiful, beautiful part of the country, you know, and it's not called the land of enchantment for no reason. Mm -hmm. However, very desolate. When the closer you get to the Mexico, New Mexico border, it's very desolate. The resources are very scarce. And so I had been down there, um, you know, through traveling, just through Rio Doso, Socorros, and that, and then down to Columbus is where it was set. And I thought, wow, this would really make is a good book. Like, is this where it mm-hmm. all happens? Is this where women are kidnapped and cross the border? And so with that, I did talk. My church does an outreach to women of, you know, assault, battery, domestic violence, you know, just like the canopy of horrible things yeah. that happen to women. Um, my church does that. And so I did uh, talk to a few victims to kind of understand, like, how does this, h- how does it happen? How easily it happens. Um, you know, they are even recruiting children in like the mall. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we grew up, we used to go to the Absolutely. mall. I mean, just, just to all the different innocent ways and how it, the, the abuse, how it lingers. Um, it's almost like being abused over and over and over because we can't relinquish those memories, regardless of how much they're right, being go absolutely. through. Absolutely. Um, so interesting. Yeah, I was actually born in New Mexico. Very few people know that. Yeah, oh. but didn't stay there long. You know, I know. What it's yeah. Like <laughs> but I was I was very young when we left. I was, my dad was there for um, with a student visa, and I was a surprise. <laughs> so um, anyway, <laughs> but um, yeah. So and in that, what I what I I think what I read elsewhere also is that that has the highest rate of sex trafficking is that state. Is that true? Well, okay. So I'm actually in Houston, Texas, and we are unfortunately the number one capital in the nation. And it's because, yeah, we're the fourth largest city in the nation, number one for um, trafficking, uh, human trafficking of all kinds, obviously. And that's tragic in and of itself because of our access to I-10. I-10, you know, goes from Florida all the way to California. So once you're on I-10, I mean, two hours, you're over the border in Louisiana. Obviously, it's longer to go through Texas to, you know, California. But uh, it's everywhere. And you have to be really aware and diligent um, with, you know, your children and other people's children. It's just, it's tragic. Yeah, that's terrible. I know. You're right. We used to go to the mall and you know, your parents would drop you off and you'd meet up with friends and it was like safe and fine, <laughs> but yeah, not anymore. They had no idea. Our parents had no, no clue. You're totally right. They did not. Um, no. And I, I don't think I ever really had an experience even like that. Although I did have an experience with someone, you know, driving a car next to me, exposing themselves when I was like 11 or 12. And that was yeah. 
that was horrible in and of itself. I cannot imagine, you know, the kidnapping that takes place and, and the trafficking. Yeah, it's, it's. Well, I mean, there's harassment in the workplace. When I talk to, I have a, you know, I have two, te- two teenagers. And when I talk to them, when the Me Too movement um, really was firing up strong, you know, my daughter would have a conversation. She's like, well, how does this happen to you? How's that happened to you? And nothing, you know, as severe as sexual assault, thank God. But everything mm-hmm. else. We've been catcalled. We've been felt up. We've been propositioned. You know, we've been threatened with our job. Like you said, you've worked in a male-dominated mm-hmm. industry for a long time. And with any industry, there's good and bad people, regardless if it's male or female. So I said, girl, shoot. I've had all that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then how do you – so you have a, a, a daughter and a son or two girls – you do. I do. So how do. do you how do you help them be more safe, or you know how do you help them be aware of this, but not so afraid either? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably like a terrible question because <laughs> I kind of blurt out facts, and so I will tell them. I'm like, they know Houston's the number one trafficking in the nation, you know, human trafficking, they know them all the danger. They know that, you know, older girl, older teenage girls that say, you know, 18, 19 will recruit young boys, 14, oh, wow. 15, um, recruiting into sexual trafficking is almost 50, 50. It doesn't matter. We use, we always think it's like the girls, but you have to worry about your boys too. Um, boys are a little bit easier to be duped because they're not spoken to so often, right. you know, like we do our young ladies, and so they know that I am kind of fanatical. We have, you know, GPS on each of the kids. I know where they're at. I warn them. I will pick up other people's kids. I will, you know, we obviously wait around till all the children are picked up. I am surprised, though, that they, all the boys went to the movies. And there were some parents that weren't there yet. The other ones were driving off. I'm like, oh, oh. goodness. Right, right. You know, we need to pick up. Yeah, we're staying until every child is picked up from this movie theater. Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how old are your kids? 14 oh, and 16. Okay. Mine, are, mine are older, all grown up, but uh, but I remember those days. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's like, you know, a parent's worst fear. Yeah. How do we protect our kids? And it's not only protecting them physically, it's protecting them online now, too. So it's a double threat. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and then let's get into a little bit, how did you even break into writing and getting published and, you know, being an author, switching from corporate America to that? So that's kind of a longer story, but I was married for a long time to, um, my almost high school sweetheart. We met right that summer I got into college. And so, uh, we had a lot of good times together until we didn't. And in order to be able to process those feelings of, you know, hurt, despair, that kind of thing. I took a turn to writing, you know, as a productive way to like process my feelings. Like I actually have 10 novels written during that time of where I was just processing what I was going through emotionally. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there was some material there, but (laughs) I don't know. You know, my daughter knows a little bit about that time, obviously, because she was like, how come you're always in my bed at night, mm. you know, tapping away on your laptop? And she's like, were you working all that time? Mm, not exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so some of those, I don't know if they'll ever see the light of day. You know, those were really dark writings. I was writing dark romance then, mm. too. I just didn't know that's what it was called. Really angsty betrayal, you know, like all those really dark, hard emotions, betrayal, anger, loneliness, frustration. And 
I don't know if I'll ever publish those. When I go back and visit some of those manuscripts, it takes me back to where I was feeling. And I can actually place myself at that moment all those years ago. Right. It's a hard place to revisit. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and so when you decided to write your first, the novel you wanted to get out there, which was the first one that you did that you were wanting to publish? Yeah, Coyote is my debut novel that came out in August of 2022. I have a dear friend um, who's my developmental editor. And I reached out to her and kind of, um, for lack of a better word, vomited <laughs> all of my 10 works on her and said, I don't want to touch any of those. What do I do? How do I write a book? How do I get started? And so she's like, you know, do you dream? Do you have ideas? That kind of, do you have like a dream notebook or an idea notebook? And I said, I kind of do. And she said, pick the one, like the path of least resistance. So when you go in there, pick which one resonates with you the most that you think would be the easiest for you to write. And we'll start there. Okay. And so she's a phenomenal developmental editor. You know, hand-holding sits through, this works, that doesn't work, cut this, add more of that. Um, and that really is how Coyote came to life. Wow, that's great. And then from that, now, did you self-publish or put it, you know, through a public, traditional publishing? How did you do it? Yeah, so that one is through, they call them a vanity press, where you go to them and they'll publish under their name. So that's published through Balboa. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Balboa Press. They're a division of Hay House. And Hay House has a lot of, like, self-help or um, metaphysical books, that kind right, of thing. Right, they do. Mm -hmm. So they're a division of that. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, I wrote my duet series, which is called Tomlin is the first book and Takahashi is the second book. And so it's kind of a longer love story and very tumultuous. Um, and so I wrote that after I published Coyote mm -hmm. and I had four beta readers that were phenomenal because I'm wordy, I'm lengthy. I like to go like very deep, introspective. And, you know, I kind of like, um, a treasure trove of I guess like emotional trauma. <laughs> okay. And so that doesn't always fit with, you know, dark romance. And so some of my beta readers have helped me kind of like, Hey, cut this too much of that. We got the point, move on pacing, that sort of thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. How do you find beta readers? Just people that are willing to read. Is that yeah, like a job? So the book, <laughs> is it? Oh I my totally gosh. So that. the book. Yeah. The book community, both on Instagram and TikTok, is phenomenal. I mean, there are some really voracious readers. There are readers that are reading three, 400 books a year. So wow. mad respect. I know. And so I had just kind of put out a call on social media, and I said, hey, guys, you know, look, I need help. Like, I feel like this manuscript is way too verbose. I'm losing sight of it. I need, you know, people to be brutal. And so I had 25 people that volunteered. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so because of the size count, book one was like 200,000 words, which if you romance is typically 80 to 100,000. So it's way, way over the top. And so I narrowed it down to four. Three were great. One was my hype woman. I love her, but she, I was like, I'm going to have to fire you as a mean, harsh beta. And you need to become like my cheerleader hype woman. Oh, funny. Okay. And why? Why that one had to be the hype woman? Well, because she's like, it's great. Don't cut anything. I love all the characters. It was not too repetitive. Oh, so I see. Yes. I was looking so... Yeah, I needed some really brutal, harsh um, criticism. And I found two that were just 
like it was gut wrenching when I got edits back from oh, them, but right. it made those books. Yeah. Made those books better. I cut a lot. And then I had so much story. I moved it into a two book, like they call it a duet. So there's two books for that whole story. One couple, two books. Right. Right. Just kind of a continuation. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Now, do you, were you ever into writing when you were younger? Was that like a thing you that know, you always actually, did or no? Okay. So you hear authors say that like all the time, like, oh my gosh, I was writing stories when I yeah, was little. Right. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I was really good at math and science. And I think that's why, you know, I was in corporate America because I followed the trajectory of what I was good at. Um, but I did read a lot. And so me and my sister used to, that's back in the day where you'd ride your bike to the library, oh which I yes. know nobody does nowadays. I know, right. I remember that. Yeah. I remember those days. Yeah. Now everyone's like to go to the library, the book's going to be full of germs and disease. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Germophobics have like killed the library business. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, but we used to ride our bikes to the library in the summer, you know, our parents work, we were latchkey kids, you ride your bike to the summer, you fill up as many books that you can, you know, fit in your book bag to balance on your bike when you ride home. And then we had a humongous closet that we kind of made our clubhouse and we would just sit in there and read. So did I write stories? No, but was I a voracious reader? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, that really is the best foundation, I think. Yeah. Um, just, and, and different topics or different genres. What did you like to read? Yeah. When you're a kid, I think it's just, you know, when you read all those children's books, it's all sorts of different stories. And, you know, back in the day, like my older sisters grew up on like Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Everybody knows those series, (laughs) but you know, when you're spending like hot summers by yourself, um, you know, you go out and you ride your bike, but it gets too hot and y'all land under that one ceiling fan. And then after that, you're in for the day. And so when you read, it transports you into different worlds. You know, you could be a princess, you could be a pirate. I mean, you could be in Malaysia, you could be in Singapore, you know, you're not here necessarily in the U S. And so I think that's what the appeal to reading has always been is you become the identity of all these different people. Mm-hmm. You can go mm-hmm. into any kind of, you know, past, present or future world. Yeah, absolutely. No, it does. It does transport mm-hmm. you. And, you know, especially if you aren't traveling, aren't doing all these things, it really does give you that, you know, it gives <laughs> you a sense of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. So tell us a little, you've got um, a, a new book coming out. I do. So Tomlin and Takahashi is actually book one and two of a series called the Canyon series. And Canyon is C-A-N-O-N after Canyon City, Colorado. And so if you've ever been there in Colorado, you know, it's um, kind of you know, it's similar to New Mexico, right? The climate, some parts are very dry and dusty. And so this is a small town. The third book is called Lot Lizard. And so that's a continuation from a character Um, called Officer Hamilton, who is in the first two books. And so that series will continue with him and then another book. And potentially, I've had a couple of readers reach out and they're like, we need more of the (laughs) Tomlin Takahashi story. And I was like, oh, that's the best compliment when people want to read more. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that is true. I mean, I know of a couple of authors that have been doing that, kind of going back to stories that they've done. Colleen Hoover, I know that, um, just recently did. Yeah, so we do as as readers, we get really attached to those characters. And uh, yeah, and you're like, I don't want their story to end yet. So I completely understand that. Yeah. Well, it's such a huge compliment because, um, you know, you said, 
being a writer is very solitary, right? You sit here, you create characters, you create this world, and you hope it makes sense, and you hope it resonates, and you hope you're, some people want to be taught a lesson, and some people want to be entertained, and there's kind of all this expectation on authors today. And so when you write a story and it resonates with people, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the validation I need to like. Yes. They're coming to the place that I created. They want to be in the world that I created with the people I created, or they resonate with the characters. Or, or I've had um, the candy, sorry, the main character in Tomlin and Takakashi, both those books, is Danny Winters. She is foul mouth, says stuff first, thinks second, no impulse control. <laughs> okay. And so I have <laughs> trouble, basically yeah, trouble. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I've had so many readers say, oh, my gosh, she's just like me, or I resemble her, or I love her so much, or she says everything that I've always wanted to say. I'm like, yeah, she does. Right, right, right. When we have our own filter, she doesn't. So that that's amazing. That's It is a huge compliment that people are so resonating with your characters that they, you know, they want more. I think that's, that's wonderful. That's really, now. It is. And when they think, when they act like they're real. Right, When they right. talk about them like they're in the real world, you're like, yes, I've but, gotten it. Oh, that's so good. So good. And and who is your favorite male character that you've written about? Okay, so back in Coyote, um, the main, there's two main male characters. There's the one that kidnaps her and holds her hostage. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's despicable, but he's been so much fun to write. Because I've had um, some of the readers reach out and they're like, look, are you going to write a redemption arc? Like, he can't be all that bad all all the time. <laughs> right. And I'm like, of course he can. He's a cartel kingpin. Exactly. One, he could do whatever he wants. He can act the way he wants. If he wants to kill someone, if he wants to marry someone, if he wants to marry two people, he can do whatever he wants. So he's been fun because he's so despicable and he can do, there's no rules, right? Right, right. He makes his um, own, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he's been fun to write, but a total terrible character. <laughs> okay. So that one's your <laughs> most fun. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Now, I know that a lot of our followers um, are, you know, trying to break out into entrepreneurship or, you know, other yeah. jobs, kind of like leaving their big corporate thing and, and trying to find a little bit more, you know, something that resonates more with their passion, etc. cetera. Um, but I've also found that a lot of them struggle with the, they struggle with the, the structure of their day or the structure or how to be structured about their work when there's nobody... <clears throat> that, you know, you have to be accountable to. So, and I have always um, had my own business and it started out in my home and it is one of those things. You do have to create that structure. At least I did. Tell us some tricks or what you, tips or, you know, how did you do that? And was that a struggle for you after being in corporate America where you always had to show up? That is a great question because you're so right. When you have a job or a career that you have to report to, right? that structure is forced upon you. Or if you have children, right? Then right. we fall into the children's schedule of like school pickup, school drop off. And so I did struggle with that. I was adrift like that first couple months. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could take a yoga class at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday if I want to. You just have like the whole world of freedom. 
But at the same time, you're not productive because there's no boundaries. There's no guidelines. You can do whatever you want. And so I have created a couple different things. I love that book, The 5 a.m. Club, where they talk about like setting up your day. I listen to a lot of podcasts, listen to a lot of books about time management, productivity. Um, there's a new book I'm reading right now. I just started called Deep Work. And so we always think like, okay, we're at the corporate America for 40 hours. Right. But are you actually working 40 hours or do you like no, talk to the water cooler? And, right. Yeah. And so, you know, you dilly dally around and they're talking about deep focus work. And so what I've been doing is I set up a schedule for me. I have an app uh, called Timular. And so it literally is representative of kind of like punching a time clock in the sense that you, it, you can set up all your categories and you can see how much you're working. So like, for example, I have probably about 10 main categories and I can just say writing and then it starts to count down and it'll keep my progress to see like, you know, how long I've been working. And then within that, I look and add my word count. And then by the end of the week or the oh, end wow. of the month, yeah. I can look mm -hmm. at the metrics and I can see, okay, how much was I working deep focus work on all these different categories? Oh, that's fantastic. What's that? What is the app called again? Timular. Time. <clears throat> so okay. time, U-L-A-R, -A -A -R. yeah, not a paid promotion or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, get it. But, you know, sometimes those people need that, especially those that are just finding themselves in that new kind of career, you know. And, and there is so much fulfillment in that and so much um, joy in really being in charge of your own schedule, you know, being able to be wherever you need to be without checking with your boss. And um, But it, it can be. It can be a struggle for a lot of people um, to have that kind of well, discipline. And I think as an entrepreneur, you know, it all comes down to you. You've been an entrepreneur for, you know, the majority of your career. And so, you know, yes. um, you have to be diligent. You have to know what your tasks are. So every Sunday I do a reset. I'm like, okay, where am I at in my goals? What do I, what did I not get done last week? What do I need to move forward this week? And then monthly, I'm like, okay, what? so June just can't, you know, we just started yeah. June. Mm -hmm. What do I want to do in June? How am I going to get it done? So I take my June monthly, lay it out into my weekly, and then every day I can see, like, Perfect. okay, we'll get yes. on it, girl. Yeah, no, I, I know that. I am the queen of lists. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I have so many. But I do the same thing. Sunday is my day. My husband always says, okay, what are you doing? And I'm always like, you know, getting my Monday ready. And, and he knows that's kind of the end of the weekend and he's a little bummed out because I've, I've switched my focus. Um, but it's so, so important. you are the Sunday fun killer. I totally, but I wait till it's <laughs> evening. I do wait. It's usually by around 5 PM. I've got to sit down and figure out my Monday. Yeah, I am yeah. the Sunday fun killer. That's probably what he <laughs> called me. <laughs> um, but I used to be more stressed about it. And I think the anxiety of not knowing and not sure what I'm going to do and what's going to get thrown at me. I, I find that the more organized you are, the more you've got that list down. Then if something throws you off that list, you can quickly get back to it, which otherwise I feel like it, it can set you, you know, it can totally hijack your day and, and then you don't know what you're supposed to do. So it, um, yeah, it's important. I think so. Yeah. Got to no, kill Karen, the Sunday fun. So <laughs> Yeah, you're so right. I have to have a roadmap. And even, you know, I was driving out to my mother's um, yesterday. She has dementia. And I have, you know, I check it on her. Oh, and uh, just yeah. on the way drive out there, you know, you just, 
when I drive, a million thoughts come in, right? When you med- sit down to meditate, of course, that's oh, when yeah. the brain goes like, yeah, hyper. Yes. And so, but I just use voice notes on my phone and, yep. you know, just brain dump as I'm driving. So I'm, you know, still driving and I'm not hands-free. And then later I'll go back and I'll add it to like my master plan, my master list. And I've tried Notion, which is that, you know, time management. I mean, Notion's way bigger than I'm making it out to be, but it's a, you know, app or on your desktop and they mm-hmm. put, put all your projects and time management and project management, but it's intimidating, overwhelming. And right, so I was absolutely. like, let me just stick to my paper list. Super I'm, I'm easy. a paper Check list person. Absolutely. And I put a little box next to each item because the crossing them out is so darn great. Yes, I do the same <laughs> yeah. thing. My daughter does too. And I'm like, God, I'm sorry. I don't know who started it. She may have started the little box thing though next to it. I don't know. But yeah, we're, we're fully in it. <laughs> so, um, but I think it helps. It helps. You've got to stay, you know, focused and productive even when you don't have to, you know, the job is not forcing you to, but you need yes. to create that. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I, I love the idea of notes. Um, I, I have been writing my second book and um, it's more of a memoir, but it uh, part of it, I remember I drove from Arizona where I live now back to California for some meetings and to see my kids. And I think I had that phone constantly. I, I think part, I'd say maybe a good third of that book was just written by me yeah. just talking into my thing for a six hour drive. So yeah. It's great. <laughs> it so you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what it is when you get in that car and it, it's just kind of like the monotony of, you know, driving. That's when it my is, mind. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I know. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, you do. You kind of wander with that. And then there's nobody else in the car to talk to or, you know, or to, um, or to judge you. So the writing sounds great <laughs> until you look at it later. And then sometimes you go, well, but yeah, it's, that's what I do as well. Um, that's fantastic. But that's exciting. So, Congratulations on your second book coming out. Oh, thank you. I'm on the, just right now in the process of getting a literary agent and publisher under this one. This one I'm going I'm going to go with a I think a traditional publishing house. So, we'll see. The first one was more of a hybrid, kind of like what you're talking about. Yep. Uh, with Hay House, is that what it Yeah, I think so. But like that. So, we'll see. We'll see. So, but it's my, again, it's on my list that this month it is getting to the literary agents. So June is my, yeah, that's the date. So tell us a little more about what your plans are now. Are you going to be, you're writing that next book that's coming out? Well, the one that's already coming out is out what date? So it's supposed to be out before. Okay, so I have it September 1st, but I'm trying to get it done ahead of time because I then want to put out my fourth book in the series um, which is a girl who was a victim of like molestation. Mm-hmm. And so she was a runaway, so an exploited minor. And so that one I want to get out this year because I would really like to wrap up that series this year. However, I've had a couple, you know, a few readers that are like, hey, we want this person's book, we want more of them. And so, um, you know, if you're not putting out a Christmas book at Christmas, everyone says let it roll over until the new year. But oh, the really? Idea, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And Karen, I must have like 50 ideas just backlogged of stories and things that have come to me over the last, you know, decade that I've been writing and, you know, stowing them away, that kind of thing. So 
Um, right. You know, I want to continue to write. I just have so much in me that needs to come out. And then kind of similar to you, I go live with authors every Thursday on Instagram and it's called oh, nice. Let's Go Live. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't did know see if that. That's great. I did see that. I loved it. Yeah, and I hadn't noticed. I mean, until I was kind of researching you for this podcast, I had no idea, and I, I love that. And I think that's, for me, it's like when I read a book, I, especially if I love the book, I want to connect with that author because I want to, like, yeah. you feel like you're their friend or, you you know, you know them. And so, yeah, it's it's amazing to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, it's fun. You know, let's be honest, like Oprah Winfrey is probably not going to be interviewing um, authors or new authors or baby authors, whatever word you want to call it. Right. And so it's just so fun being able to connect with people where they're at. It's, you know, we've all been inside for the last, what, two years. Everybody's starting to come out now, but there's a lot of people that are still shut in. They're still at home. They can't afford babysitters and that kind of thing. And so when you meet people where they're at, And they can hear from their favorite author. I've also started to do like book bloggers or bookstagrammers because um, they're voracious readers and they have strong opinions about different books that they read. (laughs) Exactly. That's good. Good and bad. I don't know. I'm afraid of those beta readers now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it has been such a joy to have you on. I so appreciate it. Thank you for being with us. And, And if anybody wants to reach out to you, you know, interact, connect with you, what's the best way? Yeah, on Instagram. I'm at Gigi Meyer Media on Instagram. And then my website is gigmeyer.com. So pretty easy. And then my Let's Go Lives are on YouTube. So Gigi Meyer there too. And thank you so much for having me. You've been such a doll. Oh, you're fun. Very, very fun to have. I think everyone's gonna gonna go pick up this new book for sure if they haven't already gotten the previous one. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Read the content warnings. Yes, thank you. Right, there are content (laughs) warnings. Which probably actually helps sales, just saying. (laughs) Do you know what I I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, real quick, I know we got to go, but I had to tell you one content warning or trigger I did not know about. um, A beta educated me about this pregnancy. Because women have a difficult time. Some women have a difficult time for pregnancy or they go through the IVF process and it's still not successful. They don't want to read about it. Um, Typically, my books do not include that. They're dark. And so we're not going to have like a surprise (laughs) baby all of a sudden. However, I didn't know that was trigger. So you're constantly learning, right, from your readers. Yeah. That's That's what I appreciate. when you... Where do you put the content? It's on the book cover or online? Where, do, where does that Your come? website. Yeah, on your website. website. Okay, and so then there's always a statement. So like if you go to Amazon, at least for me, you know, down below, you'll see the description of the book, kind of the blurb. And down below, right. it will say content warnings on author website. because, And then on my website, which I can control, it literally spells out, you know, it'll be profanity or like we talked about, you know, sexually right. exploited children. I mean, it lists out all of them. So there's no surprises. And so that's why I always encourage people, you know, check your content warnings on your favorite author's websites. Yeah, great, great, really good info to know. So, yes, so if you are looking for that dark romance, you have found it, people. (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much, Gigi. It's been a pleasure, and I would love to have you back on after your book comes out. Yeah, thanks so much, Karen. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.